Welcome to the Easy Point Podcast. Today we're looking at when to use points or cash for flight and hotel bookings. Jason and I discuss our different philosophies and how we like to travel, and we use specific examples for trips that we recently took or that we're currently on. Without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hey, Jason. Morning, Zach. How you doing? Doing great. Afternoon, approaching evening here in London right now. Enjoying myself at the Andaz Concept by Hyatt, right near the Liverpool Street Station. That's really, really nice. Those Andaz hotels are are always, you know, they're set to be really top top of the line. So, hope you're really enjoying it. Yeah, I just checked in a few hours ago. This is a uh, definitely one of the nicest hotels I've stayed in in my life. Of course, paying not of course, but paying zero dollars for it using uh, my two. Hyatt free night certificates I got from getting that credit card last summer and had some travel plans that changed and ended up being needing to be in London for a few extra days and figured, you know, I would treat myself to this hotel and between the check-in service, my room and the gym and health club, I'm very happy with that decision at the moment. That's awesome. Good for you, Zach. Those are, those are, uh, it feels better when you get it for free. It just feels more <laughs> enjoyable. <laughs> Especially for us. I think it feels extra good for people like us. That's, that's kind of what I want to talk to you today on the podcast, which is just when, you know, when does it make sense to treat yourself and, you know, both kind of qualitatively as well as, you know, from a, a miles and points perspective. It's, it's a pretty broad question, but it, it's something that, now that I have to travel a little bit more for for work and, and life, generally speaking, I am thinking about a lot, which is, okay, I have these miles, I have these points, here's how much it costs with cash, here's how much the miles and points cost, write-offs, maybe other people are paying for it, but wouldn't pay with the miles, just questions I'm having a lot, and I imagine people in the audience can relate to, which is, you know, they have a limited amount of miles and points, and to a degree, we do too, but it's it's less limited given our access to being able to buy and buy and sell miles more easily than the average person. But still limited in that we don't have unlimited funds. And you know how do how do we stretch these to have the best travel experiences we can? Sure, uh, that's uh, that's actually very yeah very pertinent question, and I have the question myself uh, many times as well as I'm sure the audience has it as well. So. Um, you you t- you opened the floor with hotels, so can we can we talk a little bit about ho- um, using hotel points versus cash for the or you want yeah. to go with flights first? Let, let's do hotels first. And uh, I know you just recently took a, a big trip with your family, and if you wanna if you can relate it as much to some of the trips you've personally taken, that would that would be awesome. Sure. Yeah, that, I was I was just thinking about that myself. Um, so sure, it's a personal trip, and I'm I'm still excited about it, still fresh in my blood. So um, yeah, I'll be happy to talk about that. So we we did a trip um, about a week in Hawaii. It was actually six days. I wanted to stay somewhere really nice, and um, there was a few options. We stayed at the Grand Wailea Resort, which is a Waldorf Astoria property in Maui. It was we had a fantastic time. The thing is, all the all the nicer hotels there, all the four or five star hotels, are minimum five six hundred a night, going up to a thousand a night. And I'm talking for a basic room. I'm not even talking for a, a deluxe or a, or a ocean view or 
we're talking the low low season it's it's five six hundred bucks a night so if you can get that with points you're usually getting a very good value for example we didn't stay here but the andas in in maui the the room the room rates for the dates i was looking for was uh six seven hundred dollars plus tax and resort fees if points were available and they weren't but if points were available it would have been twenty five thousand points which is a fantastic value because if say the room after tax was 750 and you're getting the room for 25,000 points and there's going to be less taxes or no taxes on that because you're paying with points, then we're talking you got a value of three cents per point, which is fantastic. So it's a no-brainer. It's really a no-brainer. Um, whereas there could be some, sometimes you'll find the Andaz Hotel that's going to be 25,000 points a night, but it's low season somewhere, I don't know, Manhattan or, or somewhere else. And, and the, the room is going to be $300 a night. And then you have to scratch your head and say, hey, is this really worth to use points for this? I'm getting a value of 1.2 cents per point, which if, if I had unlimited stock, then it wouldn't be terrible. But since I do have a limited stock, then I, I want to try to get a good value out of my points. So I would say if rooms were 300 350 a night, I would not use my points. If rooms were five, six, seven hundred a night, I would use my points. Somewhere in between that is a tough call. It depends on many things. It depends on how many points you have. Are you expecting more points in the future? Are you going to need the the hotel stays? Are you going to need those points? Are you going on a different trip in a few months? And it's better to use those for the hotel then. Who's paying for it? Are you paying for it? Is your work paying for it? It depends on a few things. So you definitely. I'm not giving, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm not being that specific here, but you always want to keep both things in mind when you're looking for a hotel and you have points. You know, I have clients that call me, oh, I, ha- I want to use my points. Can you help me use my points? And I, I look into the dates and I look into the hotel they want and I'm thinking to myself, they're getting a very poor value for their points. It doesn't really make sense for them to use their points. So, it's important to, to do your research. That's all I'm trying to say as far as this. We happen to stay, we got a fantastic value, Hilton points, which are which are low in value. The, the value of them is maybe a third of the value of Hyatt points. And I say that because that's the truth. But as well as Hilton themselves, you could, uh, some, sometimes they... They have a sale where they they sell you their points for a half a cent a piece. So they're selling you, assuming the value of Hilton points is a half a cent a piece, which I value them lower. And we got a five night stay that would have cost cash seven hundred bucks a night after tax or so. So we're talking a thirty five hundred dollars stay. We got it for three hundred and eighty thousand points. That's a value of almost one cent per point. So we got a good value out of that. Well, first off, it seems like for Hawaii, using points is almost going to be a no-brainer, generally speaking. And even if you don't have the points that you've earned yourself through maybe staying or credit card spend or credit card bonuses, this is actually a time where usually the not-as-favorable rate to buy 
from the companies themselves. If you don't have access to, you know, maybe buying miles and points from other people, you're not comfortable with doing that personally. That could be a really good time to consider doing that. That's right, Zach. Sometimes you could buy points from the company themselves. Like I mentioned, Hilton, they they sell points sometimes for, for half a cent a piece, where the full price is one cent a piece. I'm not sure if you can buy higher points. You might be able to. Um, you could buy Marriott points. You could buy IHG points. Yeah, Hawaii is a is a tough market. It's it's a there's a premium, especially in the winter. So, to to answer your your question, you started off the show with, is that it's important to look into both options. Sometimes hotels are really reasonable cash rates. Sometimes it's low season. And the points makes no sense. And sometimes it's a no-brainer, like like we spoke about. And sometimes it's in between, and it really depends on your personal preference. A- any questions there? Well, just, yeah. So your trip didn't just, you didn't just go to Hawaii. You also went to Australia. What was uh, your lodging situation over there? Right. So we um, we actually, it was, it was, a, it was a, a mixed trip. It was part leisure and part it was actually all leisure, but we went we went to Hawaii for vacation strictly, and we went to Australia for family. So um, for some that's work, a, for some that's leisure, for some it's something in between. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually it turned out to be very nice, and it was uh, <laughs> it wasn't really it was not really much work. Although I wish I could have worked a little more when I was there. It was hard to keep my business going. Um, considering the time zone and um, spending time with the family there, so in Australia we we stayed at our our relatives, so we didn't we didn't do any hotels there, so that I didn't have to worry about hotels there. But but if you want to talk about flights, I have a lot to share about flights and value of. We can talk about the miles versus cash option um, with flights, which is a bigger. Let's, bigger market, sit, big, let's bigger stick with hotels before we move on to flights. And, sure. you know, I'll, I'll talk about kind of how I how I travel and how I think about this stuff and how it's kind of evolved. When, when I started traveling kind of just for leisure to start, this was when I was living in Jerusalem the year after I graduated high school. And the few times that I went back to the States or the couple times during that, I, I – made sure to basically buy really cheap flights that stopped over in Europe somewhere and then have a couple days there where I didn't pay for lodging. I used the website Couchsurfing. So that's kind of where I started and how I thought about travel. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely changed since then. I I still look at those days fondly and still really enjoy and appreciate Couchsurfing and and use it sometimes now. But now my my trips are a little less open-ended. I normally have to work either work as part of the purpose of the trip or I actually have to just do my normal work while while traveling even if even if it's for leisure so not having my own space being less rested after sleep is just becomes a little more precarious where I'm at right now so then as I started you know working more and being able to kind of work regardless of the location uh, I started looking more into Airbnb and did a combination where I'd try to stay with friends, try to use couch surfing, and then maybe half the time I'd use Airbnb to get a good night's sleep. 
Now, for some of my shorter trips, I'm, I'm finding I really prefer the hotel just for a, a combination of things. One, I have way more credit card points and hotel points that I've simply never used. So I've kind of, over the last few months, now used most of those points that I've accrued over the last two years, as well as uh, it's when you're only in a place for one night. Sometimes I'm the type of person where if there's a host that I, most hosts I'm going to want to talk with if they're around. And maybe I don't have to, I it's not responsible for me to do that time-wise. Or if it's an Airbnb, it's usually not going to be as in the, the best the best location. I'll, I'll get value for my money. And of course, there are exceptions to this, but I, I, I've been finding that I can get better value with points than using Airbnb for more central locations in kind of bigger cities like a London, where I'm at right now. But I'm sure there's some Air, people that exclusively use Airbnb that would take issue with that statement. But yeah, now I'm, I'd say when I'm traveling more for work, it's about half hotels and half, well, not half, half hotels and half Airbnb when I'm paying, but then maybe a third of the time I'm able to figure out a way to stay with friends. So as a result, because I'm able to write off a lot of my expenses for work, it becomes a little complicated. Where if if a hotel costs me $150, but I can use points and get 1.3 cents per point, that's a really good value, but it's not outstanding. And the points, I'm just spending that. But the $150, I'm able to write off for a business. So this is also a, a consideration that you know people that are traveling for work or run their own business and will work while traveling for leisure, I think the threshold for using your points should become a lot higher. Because depending on your tax bracket, there's a in a, in a, in a way, there's like a 15 to 35% premium on staying at staying at a hotels with points. That's right, Zach. That's absolutely right. At least uh, 20, 30%, if not more, uh, you have to factor in if you're paying cash, it's basically you're getting a 20, 30 or more percent discount on that. Yeah. So uh, I know Ben Schlappig from One Mile at a Time or Lucky, I think he's he's most well known for just having really exhaustive reviews as well as calculations for how he thinks about whether to use miles or cash for a flight. And I, I think that would, you know, maybe not to the degree of specificity that he uses, but I think most people, if you're able to write things off, you know, especially now if you transition to flights, it it becomes a lot more complicated. You have the elite status consideration. You have the miles considerations that you're earning to different programs. You might, might not even know the best program to credit to. It might not be your normal kind of one of the, big three carriers from your country if you're from the United States. There's a lot of considerations here and becomes more lucrative as well as more complicated when you're talking about whether to use points or cash for, for flights. Yeah, but flights, flights are really complicating and as well as another consideration that you didn't mention that I was thinking about is if you view your miles as an asset and you want to save them for to get a better value, the points could devalue at any time. And it's not like a currency where it's controlled by the general market. So say it's controlled by the public to um, a large extent. The miles value is controlled by almost 100% by the airline themselves. And 
technically, and they have done this in the past, the airline could overnight um, <clears throat> devalue the, the devalue the program to the extent that your miles are worth 50 percent of what they were worth yesterday. Now, typically, the, the major carriers don't do that. They typically give a fair warning, six months or a few months. But some of the big programs like Delta or Alaska Airlines have have just made devaluations overnight without warning, without telling anyone. That that's number one, as far as the uh, devaluation goes. And number two, Zach, is that if you have your if, if your miles are not changing in value, you're technically also losing money because here you have thousand dollars or you have a hundred thousand points sitting and you can do you can spend either one of them um, now if you spend a hundred thousand and you wait to use your hundred thousand miles in a year from now you 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 basically tied up a thousand dollars for a year and didn't do anything with it so you lost either general inflation two percent or you lost a lot more if you're if you have your money sitting in other interest interest earning uh places you follow what i'm saying and, and it's actually even worse than that because you're, you're not just tying up that money and losing the opportunity cost losing to general inflation and you're also losing on the fact that miles and points are way more of an inflationary asset than cash so this this is something i i talk about a lot with my business clients that i do consulting with which is you know the, the importance of really just using your miles and points as soon as possible because it's not as simple as, oh, 1.2 cents per point, that's below the threshold of what I want it to work, I'm going to wait nine months. No, you want to use your miles and points now, because especially, uh, well, and then it becomes more complicated with the write-offs, but especially if you're, uh, if you're constantly getting lots of points and, and, and never find that you're getting to zero, I would really recommend rethinking your redemption strategies. Perhaps even talk to a financial advisor and your financial advisor and bring this question up is like, should I think of miles and points as an asset? And what I, what I would say as a miles and points advisor is, yes, this is the only way to think about it. And I you know, would, would hope and you know, moving forward, maybe I'll be able to work with more traditional wealth management and financial advisors on, for, for clients that have businesses or do a lot of personal travel you know, if, if they constantly have five figures on a balance sheet of miles and points but across maybe mainly an Amex card and maybe one or two airlines, well, it's, you know, with a little thought, you could be increasing your expected value for, for that for the year. And if this is part of a comprehensive wealth management strategy, well, then with compound interest, this, this, this really adds up. No question. Really no question about that. And you're absolutely right. And this is... This is not traditional thinking the way people thought maybe 10 years ago, but I feel like it's it's changing and it's changed and you're you're spot on about that, Zach. Making me feel really embarrassed for my 140,000 chase points. I've only used, I've only probably redeemed about 40,000 of my UR points since I've been on the chase cards. I just, uh, oh, for some reason, the, the transfer partners never seem to work for that. Amex, I have no problem getting rid of. I've had to make a last minute flight this Friday and the Amex points came in handy for that. Well, here, let's, here's an example of, of kind of when to use miles or points or cash and how I thought about it. So I was, I'm in London right now. I originally thought I had to go to Dubai for this conference 
and then the conference was canceled at the last minute uh, yesterday. So I decided to cancel my trip to Dubai, and I had to be in Italy on, well, I was planning to be there Monday, but now I figured I can go there a little bit earlier. So I was looking at flights on, on Friday. How can I how can I get there? And there's a lot of really cheap options going from London to Milan, which is where I was going. There's two different airports. There's six different airports surrounding London. And the cheapest flights are on Ryanair and EasyJet. But I, right now, I'm traveling with basically two full-size carry-ons, but one's on my backpack. So it, I usually never have problems. I haven't had a problem to date, even with uh, U.S. domestic low-cost carriers like Spirit. But I've heard horror stories about Ryanair and, to a lesser degree, EasyJet and Eurowings. So I figured, you know, it might be best to avoid that. There's also the cost of traveling over an hour outside the city on public transport. And the trains aren't super cheap even to get there. So then I looked, okay, so what are the flights kind of from London City or from Heathrow, which are from where I'm, I'm going to be coming from Friday morning? It's 20, 30 minutes away. And then those flights are crazy. For economy flights, it's uh, you know three, four hundred dollars for a one-way flight for it's two hours, where you know Ryanair, EGJet is between like forty and ninety dollars. But then I look at our favorite airline for short-haul flights, which is do you want to want to chime in here, Jason? I love it. Uh, I love it, Zach. You're and uh, I, I know where you're going. British Airways. <laughs> yeah. So so British Airways is 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 wonderful and. For most short haul flights, I don't know. Do you, just what, what's the exact amount of miles? It's zero to it's four, uh, zero to six hundred miles. I'm pretty sure six hundred six fifty somewhere there. Yeah. So for forty five hundred miles and usually very minimal taxes, in this case it was going to be twenty seven dollars. You can fly economy, and even if you value like Amex points as high as like two cents per point. That's still very good value for a three four hundred dollar flight. You might say, okay, well, but there's seventy dollar flights, so the opportunity cost of just paying the cash for that. But then when it comes to Ryanair or EasyJet, I have to pay an additional fee to have the the bigger size carry on, even just one of them. Let alone the stress of having you know my backpack that's a little bit too big on the kind of notoriously. It was probably going to be Ryanair if I were to take one of those two flights. So just the stress of that as well as the transport. So it became a no-brainer. But then I looked at British Airways and, oh, they don't have any economy flights. They just have business class flights. But for that, it's just 9,000 points and $40. So now I find myself, you know, I have, I had about 120,000 Amex points at my disposal. I figured, you know, this isn't the best value, but now I get to, you know, fly in business class. It's on an A320. So it's not just like, the European business class where middle seats blocked out, it's actually kind of resembles like a resembles. It's like a domestic first class product on United, maybe a little bit less space, but probably a little bit of a nicer newer chair based on the review that, that I, that I looked at. It's only $40 out of pocket. And I got rid of a, you know, inflationary asset of mine and now get to just take a 20 minute train Heathrow, not wake up too early. And to me, that seemed like a no brainer, and, you know, the business class, from a sense per point perspective, it was insane. You know, it's a $900 one-way, two-hour flight. Not that I would have ever paid $900, but, you know, these are the types of things I'm, I'm thinking about. And for people doing a lot of short-haul flights, both domestically in the U.S. as well as in Europe, you know, having Amex points is just so nice. So then you can 
you know, start to make decisions like this versus, you know, I'm, I'm never paying $400 for a one-way flight in British Airways, and that's just economy. Could have paid 260 uh, versus maybe like 40 and leave super early or super late. But, you know, the points allowed me to just have the quite possibly the most ideal travel experience to get where I needed to go next. So I think that's a good example of not getting the ultimate best value out of points, even if the cents per point was really good, but still feeling very happy in my decision to to use the points versus the cash, even though I probably could have written, well, I probably could have written this one off, but maybe I could, but I can't now because I'm using the points. <laughs> well done, Zach. Business is the way to go for extra four and a half thousand avios and 13 bucks. It's a no brainer to take business, even if economy were were to be available business is so it's so much smoother and and it's only you know i value amex points out less maybe 1.5 cents per mile per point so it doesn't matter i would i would i would certainly choose business regardless it's just a nice it's something that it's going to save you time you can you can save time at check-in you can board the plane easier and sooner and get off earlier and just have a nice service yeah i think you're right usually for the shorter haul flights i value it less but i think i think if i'm thinking about it critically it is totally worth what is it you know between depending on how you value amex points the extra 50 to 100 bucks to be able to be at heathrow there's a priority security lane i believe i've never used it but i think i've i've read that yeah. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. priority security lane i'd already have lounge access but maybe i get to check out the British Airways business class lounge versus a priority pass lounge. I get to have zero worries about my two large carry-ons and just bring those on, put them in the bins. There'll be more storage for me and I get to see my family this weekend. So I will be getting off the plane and get to them quicker. So yeah, no, no brainer, no brainer in this situation. And yeah, I, I I like to think I might've made the right decision and did the business anyways, but, uh, I'm glad I didn't have the choice in retrospect. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I, Zach. I, I had a very similar situation where I needed to book uh, last minute. We, we had a ticket um, from Melbourne back to Newark, but we, we decided last minute we want to take a different ticket that would be with Air Canada from Sydney. So I needed to book Melbourne to Sydney last minute. And typically, it's a very, very popular route, Melbourne to Sydney. I actually just heard that it's the fifth to most traveled route in the world as far as passengers, um, you know, more than New York, Chicago, and more than New York, LA, and more than New York, London. So there's like, Qantas has, you know, 30, 40 flights a day. Virgin has a ton of flights a day. And there's a few low-cost carriers. Qantas, which I thought would be available, was not available with miles, whether in cash or business excuse me, whether in economy or business. So we ended up doing Virgin Australia. The flight we needed, needed, you know, specific, within a specific hour in the morning to pick up our connecting flight. Cash tickets for economy were $300. Whereas Virgin, which which was only available in business, was 15,500 miles plus $20 tax or Forty dollars tax, maybe something like that. Another so, no-brainer. <laughs> exactly, you're getting a value of two cents per mile. Plus, it's a business class, and and we did have a few pieces of luggage, and 
it was worth our time, we're traveling with the baby, it's worth our time to, to go straight to the business class check-in and get priority security. And we didn't even have time for the lounge, but just to be, you know, I would have paid 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks extra per person to go business anyway. Here, it sort of, it sort of forced me to go business and I still was paying a cheaper value than the cash price of the economy. Yeah. So what about what about the long haul flights? How did you, you know, think about these flights to Australia? And then more broadly speaking, you know, when when you are traveling, business versus economy for the longer haul international flights. Australia, it seems like, you know, the, these kind of regardless of where you stand, more people are going to be inclined to do business on routes like this. So Australia, Australia is a big trip, and to get from the U.S. to Australia is, is minimum fourteen. It's between 14 and 17 hours, depending where you're going. To go from the U.S. to Australia is a little bit longer. Like, for example, Los Angeles to Sydney is, I believe, somewhere on the outbound 14 to 15 hours, and the return is 13 to 14 hours. But regardless, and that's the shortest route, because there's Melbourne, which is a little bit longer, and there's Go up, you go to San Francisco, which is a little bit longer, or Vancouver, Dallas, Houston, they just started. All those are longer, up to 18 hours. It could be from Houston to, to Sydney. So 14, 18 hours on a plane, for someone that travels a lot, it's really tough to go economy. Someone that's doing it a youngster once in a while, um, they don't mind to... To, cut, to need two, three days to catch up on sleep when they get there is one thing. But someone that's going for a week or, or a week and a half, two weeks, and they're, they want their time on the ground to be useful, it makes sense to do business. And um, there's plenty of options available. Cash tickets are through the roof usually. and You can get a cheap cash ticket for four or $5,000. Last minute can be double that. And... On this route, and it, it almost always makes sense to use miles. You're always going to get a good value. Even if you're paying the anytime miles, many times you're still going to get a good value. Uni- so if United, let's just take a program like United, which has a, a flight to Melbourne, a flight to Sydney, a flight to uh, so San Francisco, Sydney, Los Angeles, Melbourne, Sydney, Houston, Sydney. They have a few options to work with. And... They're a partner with Air Canada, so Air Canada has flights to Vancouver as well, which is harder to get availability on. And technically, I don't think it's ever available. There's a flight through New Zealand, um, but there's definitely options with United. And if Saver Miles is available in business, it's it's one it's at eighty thousand miles one way. But even if it's anytime miles, it's one. 60 or 170 one way, which still could still could make a lot of sense. If the ticket is $7,000 online and you're spending 320,000 miles round trip, you're still getting a value of over two cents per mile, which is great. So on something like this, it always makes sense to use miles. American miles, again, American could have saver. They barely ever have saver. Saver miles one way business is 80,000. Again, a no-brainer. But even if even if we're talking any time miles on American, it's 175,000 miles one way. It's still a very good value because that ticket on cash is going to be cheap, five thousand. Expensive, eight, nine, ten thousand. 
you hear where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and just to, to jump in here, so I think usually the best markets, at least for international flights that you know I'm, I'm booking more than domestic, to use miles and points in are the like medium level premium heavy routes. Routes like you know New York to London or let's say LA to Sydney or Melbourne, you're going to be able to normally get like solid value, assuming that you're only considering business. The miles will always be better than the cash, but you're never going to get, or it's it's rare you'll get the crazy deals. Usually the best markets are where there is premium demand, but it's not it's not to that level where there's just so many people whose businesses are going to be paying the business or first class flights or you know have pre-negotiated contracts with the airlines where they're maybe getting a similar amount they're paying a similar amount per ticket as they would with using like a travel agent like yourself what's an exa- what examples come to mind when you say a medium a medium pre- premium route well Amman to the US <laughs> is definitely one where it's That's there's right. there's certainly a demand for premium travel but it's it's not you know the the crazy high demand but it's also not non-existent so for myself and for clients you know getting getting really good deals from Amman to New York, Amman to Chicago, Amman to Detroit, that's been fairly easy. Uh, that's one route. Another route off the top of my head is South America. So like you have the most premium routes, which will be like Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires, but then like Santiago, for example, there's definitely premium demand, but it's nothing like those other two cities. And the few times I've booked that routing from like LA or New York to Santiago, I've been able to find multiple good business class options. Yeah, it makes sense, South America, and and definitely Middle East, leaving Israel aside, Middle East to the U.S. as well as Africa to the U.S. makes sense that it's not as much of a premium heavy route compared to London or elsewhere in Europe. Yeah, and then on, on the other end of the spectrum, like when you have like a kind of a pure leisure route, it's normally, I find, pretty difficult to get outstanding value from your miles and points. So Like, like Hawaii, yeah, like Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. Too. Hawaii, well, because you, just, you have less businesses paying for it. And I think that's what people don't really think about is like, even when you have people that, you know, quote, paid for business class, most of the time it's their employer. I, I would love to have some hard numbers on this, but I, what feels right to me is that on the, the most kind of premium heavy routes, New York to London, LAX to Sydney, for people in business class, an employer is paying for it more than people are out of pocket. And as a result, most large corporations have contracts with airlines where they say, hey, SkyTeam, uh, we're constantly doing this route that you serve a lot. We're going to like give you up front the capital for 150 business class flights. And as a result, we're going to have access to not necessarily every fair class, but most fair classes at, you know, 3.2 K a pop, even though the market rate is 5,000 and it's a win-win. And that, that is how most of those seats are, are done. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to compete with that where when you have a, a pure leisure route that isn't happening. So the airlines know that there's some people that really are just considering business. So even if the demand isn't super high, they know that they can really extract the money from from people. And as a result, they're less inclined to give saver availability. Does that, does that sound right to you? 
That makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting, and I would love to know um, her numbers as well. But that definitely sounds right. Definitely sounds like the the general concept is correct there. Yeah, and again, I, I would love to be proven wrong in this and to actually have some of this very proprietary data that the airlines have, so I could be more informed. But this is kind of what I've what I've thought, just having you know been in this business for a little bit of time. Awesome. So um, we covered hotels, um, where, where it makes sense to use points, where it makes sense to use cash and what to think about. And we talked about flights where it definitely makes sense to spend your miles and you would apply, you would want to apply the same logic, find a very good value in a cash ticket, then it would, it would make sense to save your miles. Um, but we, we, um, I think we covered that as well. What, what else on this topic that we, what other questions do we have here? Well, so we've just been talking about international flights right now. What about just, you know, domestic routes like transcons? This is probably more applicable like for, for your clients than maybe for yourself. But how how do you help your clients think about whether to use, you know, their own miles and points or pay cash or use someone like yourself for a routing like that? Sure. So when you talk about transcon, there's not, not as many people are exclusive to, to flying business, although there are some. A lot of people that are that would only do international business would do transcon in economy or what they call um, economy plus, which is just basically extra legroom. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I was, I was just going to say that it, it depends. Like I, I try to avoid red eyes transcons. Right. No question. Yeah. The the red eyes are. Gotta be tough, uh, especially if you have to have a date the next day, a uh, productive day that is. But yeah, during during the day, I normally all these flights now have internet on them, so I just try to get some work done, maybe relax a little bit, and we'll normally pay whatever it costs to get an exit row, as long as it's you know under hundred bucks. That seems like a no brainer most of the time for the six hour flight. Right. So I find that. Um, Transcon, um, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, Los Angeles, you know, Miami, Philly, whatever it is, San Francisco, East Coast, Seattle, East Coast, in advance, like two weeks out or more, it's it's pretty reasonable. The the cash tickets, and I, I I wouldn't advise using miles unless tickets were expensive. The last minute it can get very expensive, and at the same time, last minute is when some of the the good saver award availability opens like on american airlines last minute san francisco new york route as well as los angeles new york route um could open a, a seats seats open many times in saver availability which is twelve and a half thousand american miles or british miles or a, a different partner cafe etc as well as united united newark to the to the west coast they'll have some last minute availability and and you can use you can avoid paying the seventy five dollar close in fee that they charge if you book it with Air Canada or a different um, Starlines partner um, like Singapore or Lufthansa, which Singapore can be transferred from any of the major programs Amex, Chase, City. So uh, there it, there it makes sense to use my tickets are expensive before five hundred bucks a one way. But far out, when tickets are 200 bucks a one-way, 
and usually you're not finding award availability anyway for the little miles. It, it makes sense to spend cash, in my experience. If you're talking in a business class, then again, far out, the flights, you know, a month or two out, you could find business class for six, seven hundred dollars one way, which is good, and I would do that. Close in, it's a lot more usually. So it, it really depends what you could find. Um, United to have saver availability with miles is tough. American opens up sometimes last minute. Delta is horrible. JetBlue, it's a revenue-based program anyway. Virgin America, you can get sometimes with Alaska miles for twenty-five thousand, which is a very good value. Um, so really, it, it it depends. It's really like we spoke about with hotels and international flights. It's it all depends on the cash versus the miles. If you're getting a good value, a decent value, go ahead with the miles. But if cash is cheap, there's no reason to, to blow your miles, especially if you're going to blow 20,000 American miles and pay a $75 fee where cash tickets is, is $199 or $249. It, it makes sense to use uh, cash in that, in that case. Okay, well, I think that's a good place to close it out. We talked about hotels, uh, our thought processes for you know, sp- specific redemptions we've done. And yeah, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you as well. You know, how, how, to, how does you, the audience, think about these things? We'd love to hear from you, uh, maybe even feature you on the show. So feel free to write in to Zach at easypoint.me and we'd love to hear your questions. Jason, thanks so much for your time today. Have a rest of your day. Today's show was made possible by EasyPoint. Personalized miles and points consulting for you and your business all at easypoint.me.